Today's reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. So it's Matthew 25, 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will, in, will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteousness, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you've uh, been looking at them for that, that reading, and allow me to pray for us as we start. Lord Jesus, we pray now that you would be with us as we explore your word, that you would challenge us and encourage us. You are the one who suffered and died for us and who cares for us. So very, very much. 
And so we thank you for that, Lord. Amen. The Pride of Britain Awards. I don't know how many of you watch that. Does anybody watch that program? It's on once, once a year. It's an awards program. And um, it's become a bit of a tradition in our house to watch this program. And um, every year we sit down together and watch and end up in tears as we watch and hear the stories of ordinary people who chose to do extraordinary things. Stories of compassion and stories of selfless and fearless courage in many cases. And our children absolutely love this program. And they kind of sit there and they listen to all these stories and, and see the people. And there's ones that particularly stay in their minds as one of the seven-year-old girl who her mum was preparing breakfast and she heard her um, baby sister go up the stairs and um, rescued her from um, a bath of scalding hot water. She got into the bath and got her baby sister out. Or the man who pulled up his car on the hard shoulder of the motorway because he saw that there was a car that had crashed and was on the fast lane and the car was burning and there was a young family inside and he did this amazing um, feat of running across the carriageway, I think three times, to rescue the people that were inside and trapped in the car before it exploded. And the children, when they've watched these programs, they like to say to us, just tell us the story. Tell us the story of the seven-year-old girl in the bath. Or tell us the story of the man who um, rescued the people in the car. And they get us to tell these stories over and over again. And every time it always ends with them saying, wow, that was so brave. I don't think I could ever be that brave. And um, they, they kind of, they tell and retell these stories as well to everyone that they meet. But thank goodness, I'm sure that um, I'm glad to know and that we'll each be glad to know that these are not the kind of things that are expected of us in our care for others, according to the passage that we've just heard in Matthew's Gospel. We see when we look at these chapters, the chapters 24 and 25, it's Jesus' final section of teaching, and Matthew lays that out for us. And it's the final teaching that he gives to his disciples before his arrest and death. And it's referred to often as a parable, this, this story that we've heard and this teaching. But actually, it's not really like a parable. And the only bit that we can um, look to for that is the, um, the illustration of the sheep and the goats. And you could describe this section of Matthew's Gospel as acting like a periscope. And some of the Bible commentators, when you read, they describe it as such. It looks above the turbulence of Jesus' difficulties and coming death to a time when his lordship will be fully known. So the perspective of this teaching is eternal. It's future-facing. And here in this passage... Jesus is teaching about how the church should live as we wait for God's final dealings with the world and the final revealing of Jesus' power. 
and to look at how this teaching about our care for others fits within Jesus' final section of teaching. We see when we look at chapters 24 and 25, we see a clear message emerge. And if you've got your Bibles open, you can, you can see that. We see when we look back just before this passage that we've heard read this morning, chapter 24 and the end of that, the teaching about the day and the hour are known. We don't know when Jesus will return. So his people must be alert for surprises. There's a clear message here. We should also be equipped for the long haul, we read in the beginning of chapter 25, about needing oil in our lamps, not just for the short journey, but enough to keep us going for the long haul. Also faithful to obvious opportunities, the parable of the talents that we read, and ready to encounter Jesus in unexpected places. And that's the passage that we focus on this morning. And so this passage that we've heard stands in Matthew's Gospel as the final words to his disciples before the story of the cross, where we see Jesus identifying himself completely with his brother in need. And it's very sobering teaching. It's a shocking passage, really, when you read that and take it to heart. It makes for uncomfortable reading because Jesus identifies himself with the weak, the oppressed, and the beaten of the world. He has suffered and knows that he will suffer when he gives this teaching. He will suffer as they do. And so he judges as the Christ of the cross. And so this message this morning is a message about caring for others. And I want to look now to see who is this a message for and what does it entail. And so firstly, importantly, it's really good for us to see who is it that we are to care for. We hear in this passage, for the least of these, for the least of these we are told to care. And no distinction is made in this teaching of whether these are the people that are inside or outside of the church, of age or of gender. No judgment is made on how much they deserve the care. It is simply any who struggle, any who are up against it, any who are living in dark and difficult situations. And we've heard from Libby that it's Prisoners Sunday today and throughout next week it's a chance to focus particularly on our prisons and the care that they receive. And um, if you do have access to the internet, there's some lovely, really good resources on there to allow um, us to pray and to kind of focus on different aspects of that ministry. And they're using this, this year the strap line, Can You See Me? Or are you just looking? And you can see the image that they're using on the screen. Because looking into the eyes of those who are struggling, wherever they may be, can be difficult, can't it? Perhaps it's the look of isolation or vulnerability. The look of being hungry or of being trapped or of being in pain. 
that Jesus challenges us and challenges us in the passage that we've heard today. The importance of stopping and of seeing, not just looking, and of recognizing the needs of those around us. And it's vital as well that when we focus on our care for others, that we're also aware of our own vulnerabilities as well, that we recognize that we are each the least of these at some point in our lives, in one way or another, because it's all too easy, I think, to be smug or patronizing. This is what we do to care for others. This is what we do to care for them, when actually we all need to give and receive care during our lives. We're all in need. We're all the least of these. And I think my, um, my work as a nurse from when um, I was younger, when I first qualified, and then training to be a priest, working as a chaplain, I've seen in so many ways it's been really, really stark, actually, that nobody is immune from the circumstances that life throws at us. We actually all can be affected in so many ways and all have to live with very real challenges and difficulties. And just, there's been so many, but a few people who stand, stand out. When I first qualified as a nurse, I worked and had to nurse a young prostitute, and it was easy to make assumptions about her life. And um, she, it was in Stoke-on-Trent, and she'd been attacked and raped and left for dead on the streets. But actually, as you took the time to hear her story... She'd actually been thrown out of her home when she, was, when she was young, when she was 14, and her mum had remarried, and there was no place for her. So she'd ended up as a young girl, just with nowhere to go, on the streets, and um, in a lifestyle that she clearly hated. And then there was the homeless girl in Luton that I worked with when I was um, a curate there, and did quite a lot of work with hostels. And um, she was living in a hostel, and again, easy to make assumptions. But when you heard her story, her mum had died when she was young, and then her dad had had a breakdown as a result of all the stress of that, and had been moved to um, Brighton, so had been moved far away. And she'd been left, got, had gone into foster care, and then those foster carers, when she got to 16, had um, asked her to leave, and she'd ended up in a hostel. And then the company director, who I worked with as a chaplain in Addenbrooke's in Cambridge, who had a breakdown due to a huge amount of stress that he was coping with, and ended up hospitalised, and his marriage broken, and his company in ruins. And so we see, don't we, when we look, when we really look at people's lives and situations, how actually none of us are immune and it's so important that we do look and see. This passage urges us to see the hungry, the thirsty, those imprisoned in any way, people living in pain or trapped in their situations, the person sitting next to us, the person living opposite to us, working with us, me, you. And so... Who is it that's to give this care? Who is this passage talking about? Well, the vicar, 
Maybe. Some of us think so. It's okay. We're all okay. We're off the hook because the perfect vicar will have this all covered. This care, won't he or she? Because it is their job after all. And if only we could get ourselves the perfect vicar, then we'd be okay. And I found this on the internet and um, it's a bit of, it's a bit of fun and I wanted to share this with you about the perfect vicar. The perfect vicar does indeed exist. You've never met them, but you know that they are out there. And so just in case you have never thought about what the perfect vicar is, then here's a way in which they can be defined. The perfect vicar preaches for exactly 10 minutes. The perfect vicar condemns sin very much and roundly, but never hurts anyone's feelings. The perfect vicar works from 8 o'clock in the morning until midnight and is also the church caretaker. The perfect vicar makes £100 a week, wears stylish clothes, drives a new car that will reflect well on your church, buys 10 really good books each week and gives £80 to the parish a week. The perfect vicar is 29 years old but has 40 years' worth of experience. Above all, the perfect vicar is very attractive. The perfect vicar has a burning desire to work with teenagers. They spend most of their time with the senior sits. The perfect vicar smiles all the time with a straight face because they have a sense of humour that keeps them seriously dedicated to the parish. The perfect vicar makes 15 home visits a day and is always in the office at the end of the phone or email to be handy when needed. The perfect vicar always has time for the PCC and all of its committees. He never misses any meetings and is always busy evangelising the unchurch. The perfect vicar is broken enough to understand all people, but is perfect in mental, emotional and physical health. The perfect vicar is always in the next parish over where one of your friends attends church. It's a bit of fun, isn't it? But actually, expectations mean that sometimes it is the vicar that is thought of as the one to do the care. And maybe not them. Maybe then we can look to Eleanor and the pastoral care team. Again, it's easy to do that, to think it's them, it's their gifting, and so they're the ones that can do this job. But actually, it's a hugely overwhelming task for the few. Who then is this passage talking about? Well, in short, everyone. The message is clear and uncompromising. We hear how all the nations will be gathered before him. Verse 32. We will each be asked by God what we did to help and to care for others. What did I do? What did you do? This is not just a job for the trained or the professionals, or the vicar. Everybody has something to give. And it's an essential part of our lives as Christians. And the stark reality, and I think what makes it so uncomfortable to read this passage, is that we will each face judgment about our attitude towards others and the way in which we chose to live our lives in relation to those around us. 
And so what one thing, if we each chose to do one thing this coming week to help another person, I'm sure you'd have better examples of things that you could do than me. But could you ask somebody who's maybe recently been bereaved, could you ask them to come and have a coffee or round for a meal? Could you bake a cake for somebody who's feeling low? Go to visit somebody who's in hospital and who's struggling or maybe who's at home and can't get out easily. Could you fill a shoebox with gifts for Operation Christmas Child? The shoeboxes are behind us from Oak Meadow School. The children have been doing that. It's a wonderful thing for them to do and members of our church community as well. Could you do the same? We don't need to have professional training, do we, to do any of that? Just a willingness and eyes that are open to see the need. And then for some of us, there's a calling to more specific areas of need. And we've heard how it's um, Prisoner Sunday and that that's a focus in churches across the, the land this week. And actually for some of us, that might be something, and I know Mark and others are involved in that from our church, but maybe that's a calling that some of us might feel that we could get into and somewhere that we could offer our ministry. York House, it's another, I was reading again just this week, the amazing story of what the church did in response to need. And um, Margaret and John, you know, your story, it's actually, it's really incredible. And um, how the church responded really, really um, courageously and decided to do something about um, something. So, you know, that's another area, York House, to get involved in. Fostering and adoption, another area. Street pastors, and then further afield. There's just so many things. And let's be open then to God calling us to get involved with some of those projects and areas of ministry. And also it's worth saying as well that as a church community, it's a really good way to be involved in a small group because that is a way of being able to care for those around us or maybe to be linked to one and be willing to do that if we can't get to one. Because as a, a large church, we cannot care in the traditional way. It's much better if we do that in small groups and then we're able to care for one another and get to know each other in that way. But just imagine if we each played our part, how much more effectively we could care for our community. So what does this care look like then? Because to say that you know Jesus is not all that's asked of us. Knowing Jesus should make a difference to the way we live our lives each and every day, 24-7. It's the attitude of our heart that matters and the outworking of that. Our response to the one who cared and suffered for us in our attitude of care towards others. And reassuringly, it's the simple things that Jesus encourages us in. We hear in that passage, don't we? We don't need to get ourselves nominated for the Pride of Britain Awards. It's actually the simple things that we are asked to do. The passage talks about spending time with people, offering hospitality, friendship, meeting basic needs, being alongside others at difficult times, taking the time to look and to really see how people are doing, taking the opportunities that come our way and being careful not to let opportunities 
pass us by. And so finally then, one final question. Why should we care? Well, in short, again, in response to all that we have been given through Jesus, the Jesus who loved and cared for us and died for us. We should do it because it's Jesus that we're serving. We should do it because it's an essential part of our life as Christians, not an optional extra, but actually something which each and every one of us is called to do, whether we find it easy or not. Because the message is clear and simple. Jesus will judge us in accordance to our reaction to human need. When we look into the eyes of those who need our care, we also see the eyes of Jesus. And it's then that our response to them and to their struggle is transformed. And so to end with far more eloquent words than my own, those of uh, Archbishop Rowan Williams. He said, when Jesus said, when I was in prison, you visited me. We are assured of two things. Firstly, that Jesus is already with those who struggle. And secondly, that he is waiting for us there. Because it is in meeting the needs of those around us that we meet with the Christ who suffered and died because of his great love for us. Amen.